an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and a sprinkling by His blood. Precious Lord, open our hearts. Let us who have ears hear the truth of Your mighty power, of Your mighty wisdom, of Your mighty mercy, Your mighty love, and Your mighty grace. Father, I pray that You'll use me tonight to bring these truths, and that, Father, that we can rest in these as, as believers, as the chosen, as the elect, and gain from them the power and the comfort and the joy and the compassion that they offer us. Father, I pray that uh, our hearts will receive, uh, and, Father, that we will pursue these Scriptures, and it will rest in Your truths. Father, until that time, let us continue to fight the good fight, run the good race uh, for the glory of your kingdom and your son's precious name. Amen. Everybody get an outline? <clears throat> As we began studying this epistle written by the Apostle Peter, we noticed that Peter delved into some chest-deep theology. We've seen that Peter de 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 uh, dealt with some of the greatest truths that Scripture has to offer us. And yet, we also know that these are some of the most bitter truths that humanity has to chew on. This morning we looked at the fact that the scattered are us. Uh, as we grow in Christ and our love for one another continues to become stronger and stronger, the tendency for Christians is to become a community within a community. We tend to hug to one another for our own protection, our own providence, our own gratification, our own safety. And then God in His infinite wisdom will bring tremendous persecution upon the church and the church will be scattered but as it scatters, you have men like the Apostle Peter. You have men like Timothy. You have men like Paul who are moved through the corners of the earth. And the message of the blood of Christ is spread to humanity. And those who have been chosen here. I will continue on that theme this evening with verse 2, the second half. We were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit's Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. This message, I would call it tonight, would be the covenant of the elect. It will become clearer as we continue on, but I will start with the sphere of our election. I shared with you this morning that God chose us we are elect, the chosen ones. My religious preference would be that I am elect. And if someone were to ask me who elected me, I would say God the Creator. And if they asked me when did God the Creator elect me, I would say before the foundations of the earth. But the sphere of our elections is what we see the Trinity in. We see a plan that was set up by God the Father and His foreknowledge. An intimate relationship in eternity past. But we see that that plan goes from foreknowledge to reality. And that reality is through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Do you know that it is possible to be elect and not be saved? Now the first time I heard that, and the first time I read that, I thought, well now there's a big heresy. But as I thought about it, I thought I was elect before the foundations of the earth, but my salvation took place when I was 25 years old. So it is possible to be elect without being saved. 
Sanctification is a new birth. We've heard the phrase coined in the Christian community, I'm born again. Sanctification of the Holy Spirit is that new birth. That regeneration that leads unto repentance, that gives us faith in all that the Spirit of God can produce in fallen man. Peter tells us a little later in this epistle, in the second chapter, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is that regeneration. That is that sanctifying that the Spirit does in us. Sanctifying is that magical, mystical word that means that we have been set apart. In Acts 15, 7, in the Jerusalem Council, it comes to the apostles in Jerusalem that Gentiles are hearing the gospel and are coming to know God, coming to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And they set apart Paul and Barnabas to be the disciples, the, the disciplers, the apostles to the Gentiles. But this set apart, this sanctifying work that the Spirit does with us is better described in Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Paul also tells us in writing to the Thessalonians, there we'll get it, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep convictions. Tremendous truths here. Tremendous truths. Also to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2.12, giving thanks always for your love. He says, from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The way we receive faith to believe the truth is through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There are those who teach today that you can be saved and yet not have the Holy Spirit. And this passage of Scripture denies that. You cannot be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. You could be elect and not have the Holy Spirit, but you will. We see here in this passage of Scripture tremendous theology. When you speak of the Trinity, how many Christians today can explain the Trinity? When you need to explain the Trinity, I highly recommend that you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, in His foreknowledge, God planned it. Jesus perfected it, and the Holy Spirit makes it happen. That's the Trinity. The three are one. Jesus is God. So Jesus had the foreknowledge. It is the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Jesus, who indwells us, and it perfects us in our lives. That's the Trinity. That is the sphere of our election. When you says, I am being sanctified, or you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, you are being set apart from the sin, and you are being set apart from the world. If you have a love of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You were once servants to slay as servants or slaves to sin, but now you have been been bought and are now a bondservant to righteousness. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of our election, it's tremendous. We, we deal with a thing in our lives and in truth, it's pride. But we want to know what our, our responsibility is. 
If God foreknew and God predestined and God knows all of this, then what do I have to do? What is my purpose? Why would he choose me if all he wants me to do is go sit in a monastery somewhere? The purpose of our election through that sanctifying work of the Spirit is for obedience to Jesus Christ. Second, 1 Corinthians 6.11 And that is what some of you were. Okay, what we were was murderers, adulterers, blasphemers. If you read just before this portion of Scripture, you'll see all these things. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 1, 4, tremendous. For He chose as in Him before, chose us in Him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. What is your purpose? You are to be submissive. I know that's a, one of them words. That, that word and obedience are kind of in the, I think they're in the, both the back part of the dictionary under slander. Obedience and submissive. You at one time were slaves of sin. That first chapter of Romans, starting at verse 18 and through the end of the chapter, you see what controlled you. You see what your free will was controlled by. You see it. I will give you over to a depraved mind. What is that? A sinful man, blind, naked, and depraved. And the debauchery of your mind will lead you to using immoral acts and using your body to the point of non-normal relationships. Homosexuality. And you will suffer for it. That is will of man. That is man in his prime. That is man in his infinite wisdom. Let me show you how brilliant I am. But you have been bought and paid and you have been chosen. You are God's choice ones. In Hebrews 12, 14, the writer of Hebrews tells us as believers, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Do you understand the meaning of that? You can profess Jesus Christ till the cows come home. If you are not elect, if you have not been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and if you are not striving for holiness and righteousness in your life, you may hear those dreaded words, I do not know you. That's when you hear Pastor Al several months ago make a statement, and I believe it was on a Sunday night because you can get away with it on Sunday night, is that if you are going to sin and rebel against God, send your brains out, boys, because that's your reward. Now, see, I can't say that on Sunday mornings because people will take me literally. If God chooses a man to be in Christ, how can he not make him holy? You have a holy righteous God who has chosen you from the foundations of the earth, set you apart for a royal priesthood, set you at an heir to the throne, how can He let you get away with not being holy? We are to strive to be like Christ, are we not? Was Christ holy? Was Christ perfect? How can we not be the same if we are His sons and daughters, His chosen people? If God has taken us from darkness to light, from death to life, from unbelief to faith, how can He not make us holy? You know what holy is? Separate from sin. In Romans 6.22, Paul writes to the Romans, the believers in the city of Rome, but now that you have been set free 
from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Grab a hold of that. Grab a hold of that and realize that God in... From the time that God had the capability to think, you were on His mind. You were chosen. You have been elect. He has sent the Spirit of His Son to indwell your heart to sanctify you. And He is to sanctify you to holiness without sin. That is our goal. You want to know what your responsibility is? We've heard Pastor Al Share with us, it's 100% sovereign God and 100% responsibility of man. That's what this teaches. This teaches that you had no part in your salvation. None whatsoever. No matter what you did. And yet, out of His compassion and His mercy, He reached out through the course of time and said, I want you to spend eternity with me. I want you to be an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to be obedient to my son. That's your role. That's our responsibility. As children of God today, that is your responsibility. You want to know what your responsibility is? That's it in a nutshell. It is so simple here that God's foreknowledge had a plan. His sanctifying work of the Spirit is making that plan a reality. And our responsibility is to obey Christ. In three years that we have been here at Castle Rock Baptist Church, we have been through the book of Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelations, James. And now we're in Peter. That's how much knowledge you have for our Lord. That... Is your responsibility. That is your will. Your free will several thousand years ago was given to sin by Adam and Eve. And in the course of time that God felt just, He said, I shall send an atonement for sin. And that happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And I will make it so easy for my people, my chosen elect people, that I will give them my spirit. And my spirit will perfect them. And my spirit will make them stand out against sinful man and a sinful world. And each and every one of us here are missionaries. You want to know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with eternity. The things that you do in life, the things that you say in life, the things that you present as you walk through this life will have an effect on people for eternity. If you are walking holy, you are walking righteous, and you are walking in the power of the Spirit, you will be bringing the elect that God already knows into the kingdom. That's your reward. That is how God is glorified. When you turn your life and put it in the power of the Spirit, you start acting like Christ. What a tremendous blessing that is. We, are, we were all slaves of sin. And as we come together tonight as a body of believers, we are all servants of righteousness. We are all obedient unto Christ. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul tells us, because you are sons of, because you are sons, we are heirs. I used to tease, and I believe it was my Sunday school class, that when God dies, I'm heir to the throne. I'm not holding my breath on that. But we are sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart. Do you understand the magnitude of that? Do you, does, can you grasp that? That God, back before He made everything that we see and all the things we can't see, 
he had you on his mind and that he said they're going to sin I love them anyway but I created them and I'm going to bring them to me I have those that I want and those will come to me I shall give mercy to whom I give mercy and compassion to whom I give compassion In Ephesians 2.10 Paul also writes for we are God's workmanship Please never forget that. God is the creator. We are creation. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Predestination. He knows who you're going to reach. He knows who you're not going to reach. But he has someone that will reach that person anyway. Peter writes in his other the other epistle second Peter in verse in chapter 1 verse 3 his divine power which is the holy spirit has given us everything we need for life and godliness we struggle with election and I, I do not say that uh, I am this, oh, I've got it all figured out. I rejoice in election because it, there's a purpose in election. And I understand the sphere of my election. Election and God's foreknowledge has probably caused as much controversy uh, in history as what we see today with miracles and signs and tongues and all the rest of it. It is the fallenness of man that battles against this. I shared this this morning that our pride wants to think that we deserve it. The other part of us, we have had loved ones who have gone on ahead in front of us that we may question whether they were Christians. And, and it grieves us to think that a loving, compassionate, merciful God actually makes some vessels for destruction. But he also gives us the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us that produces faith. And that faith says, God chose me. This doctrine... when fully grasped, will crush any pride any man, woman, or child has. Absolutely destroys it. Because when you have a total handle on what election really means, you realize that there was no way, no thing, or no circumstance that you could do to reach God. Absolutely none. When your pride is crushed to that point, you know what happens? You understand worship. You understand what it is to give to Him who is worthy. You learn to worship God for who God is. Because all of a sudden, you haven't got any pride. There is none. It's non-existent. And all you have is the worship to a holy, righteous, almighty creator. That's all you have. But it also produces joy. Because there are those out there today that says that your salvation, you can lose it. When I see that I'm God's elect... And that it was his foreknowledge that plucked me from the depths of sin. <laughs> what can I do to lose it? He chose me. Even though I battle with my flesh and I strive for righteousness, I fall. And yet, I can hang tough with that. That's the joy that this will produce. But it also will produce blessings from the riches 
according to the riches of His kingdom. Because you realize that you're God's elect. I cannot look out on the mass of humanity. I cannot look out even in our fellowship and say, you're elect and you're not. So what does that mean? I have to strive for holiness and perfection and righteousness and share with every man, woman, and child I come in contact with. Because I don't know who the elect are. They don't have a like one of them little black light stickers that you can hold a black light to their forehead and it says elect. You don't know who's elect. You don't know who's not. So you walk in it. You rest in it. You worship in it. Your joy is in it. The blessings come in it. And you magnify God in your life. It will also compel you to be a servant. When you realize that there are many will call Him Lord, Lord. When you realize that the gates to destruction are wide and many will take that path. It should break your heart to know that He chose you and make you the servant that He's called you to be. A question would arise. Am I elect? I mean, every once in a while I feel really fuzzy all over. There are times that I'm disobedient. There's times that I don't want to be in the Word. Am I elect? How do I know I'm elect? Mark this down. It's in the front of my Bible. Not this Bible, but another Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2-9. through 9. Paul writing to them Thessalonians and Thessalonica. See, I told you I could say it. We always thank God for all you mentioning you in our prayers. How's your prayer life? We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. What's your work for the Lord? Your labor prompted by love. Do you do things because you have to do it? Do you do things because, well, the pastor asked me? Or do you do things begrudgingly? Or do you do things prompted by love? And your endurance inspired by hope. Do you have hope in our Lord? Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. When you sin, does it convict you? Can you sin, a known sin, and it not bother you? Does the Word of God have power in your life? You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. Do we try to imitate godly leaders? Do we try to imitate what we see in the Apostle Paul? What we see in the Apostle John? Do we try to imitate that? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You hunger for His truth? Do you crave to hear His message? Is His message a priority in your life? That hunger comes from the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acadia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And they tell how you turned from God to God from idols. 
Do our message ring out? Do people see something in you in the workplace that is different? Do they see the hope that you stand in? Do they see the peace that you stand in? Do they see the joy that surpasses all understanding? That's how you know if you're elect. Because the Holy Spirit will produce this in you. What I see in all of this, in these passages, in simple terms, Peter gives me the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. All those things that I listed off there in Thessalonians is nothing but obedience. Electing work produces obedience. Before I move to point three, the security of our election, I found something written by Charles Spurgeon that just really made me grin. I would like to tell you I had a divine revelation out of this, but I didn't. I stumbled on it in a book, and I just felt a big smile, and I tried to paraphrase it in my own mind, and what I did instead was pin it down, and I will quote it that Spurgeon wrote. Before salvation came into the world, election marched in the very forefront, and it had for its work the billeting of salvation. Election went to the world, marking the houses on which salvation would come, and the hearts in which the treasure should be deposited. Election looked through all the race of man, from Adam down to the last, marked with sacred stamp those for whom salvation was designated. He must go through Samaria, said election, and salvation must go there. Then came predestination. Predestination did not merely mark the house. It mapped the road which salvation should travel to the house. Predestination ordained every step of the great army of salvation. Predestination ordained the time when the sinner should be brought to Christ. The manner how he should be saved, the means that should be employed. It marked the exact hour and moment when God the Spirit would quicken the dead in sin and when peace and pardon should be spoken through the blood of Jesus. Predestination marked the way so completely to the house that salvation does never overstep the bounds and is never at a loss for, for the road. In the everlasting decree of sovereign God, the footsteps of mercy were every one of them ordained. That's good. If you struggle with foreknowledge and election and predestination, you may not like it as well as I did, but I thought, oh, that's really good. God knows. God knows who will accept and who will reject. We don't. I don't know. That's why we cannot fall into the pattern that says, let me go hide in a monastery, read the Bible, and pray until God calls me home. Our job as ambassadors, as pilgrims, as sojourners in this world is to reach the elect. The world will see Jesus in our lives. The world will see Jesus in this body of believers. That's our responsibility. Election provides us security. The security of our election. Tremendous things I found in this passage. <laughs> and I know it wasn't me. I know it was him. I'm on that road of predestination. God chose us according to his foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ with the sprinkling by his blood. As I concluded in this, I looked at this sprinkling with his blood and I said, in a 
chronology that is being given us here, where does salvation come in? The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Does, we're all in agreement that God foreknew, chose us, sanctified us, which is our salvation in the Holy Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. And I wondered why in the world Peter put this sprinkling by his blood in the scriptures. Is it atoning for sin? Is it a sin offering? You know, this man was a Jew. No. So I said, scripture. Actually, I said, computer. Show me where people were sprinkled with blood. All right. You know, that's one of those needs that a pastor has to have. Two times I see where people were sprinkled with blood in the Levitical laws, the Jewish laws. In Leviticus 14.6, a leper, a man or woman with leprosy, is sprinkled with the blood of a bird as a ceremonial cleansing for leprosy. Well, I don't think that's me. So I said, computer, tell me another one. And in Leviticus, I found that Aaron and his sons were sprinkled with the blood of a ram, um, a symbolic cleansing for the priesthood that they were in. And I said, well, that don't seem to fly either. Then I found another. And it happened one time, one time only. And it was not in, it was... Uh, before the Levitical laws were given. But I also stumbled on to the fact that it is mentioned twice in Hebrews. It is also mentioned a few times in the gospel. And you will see this as we proceed. In Hebrews 9, 19, you can look it up later. And in Hebrews 12, 24, it is mentioned. But if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 24. For those of you who don't know, that's the second book. It's after Genesis. Exodus chapter 24. And I will begin at verse 3 and following. This is the one time that people were sprinkled with blood... From Scripture. Verse 3, chapter 24, the book of Exodus. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar. At the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood. Sprinkled it on the people and said. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses read the law. We can also call that the word of God. The nation of Israel said, we will do that. All that you said, we will do. It was means in, in this time that when you made an oath, similar to the oath that was made with God and Jacob, where you cut the bull in half and walked between it, only God walked between it, you would make an oath in blood. That means that I will uphold 
my part of the bargain, the deal, or whatever. Moses proclaimed God's word, and the people responded to obey it, making a covenant of obedience with God, and it was mediated through a sacrifice, promise of obedience. It was a blood pact or a blood oath. And both parties have responsibility in that oath. We promise, O oh God, to obey your word and to the point that we sealed it. Now then, let us think. When will we as Christians sprinkle with blood? I would remind you there is a time that our Lord and Savior quoted this. We shared it last Sunday. This is my blood, the new covenant. That's the blood of Christ. I know how many of us take the Lord's Supper and compare it to the Passover. But our Lord, on the night that he was betrayed and he was arrested, said two things. This is my body and it's broken for you. Take this cup and this is the blood of the new covenant. When you read in Peter that we were chosen by the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ through the sprinkling of his blood. Hold tight to that fact that Peter was sitting there saying, I'll never leave you, Lord. That had to be a tremendous impact for a man who very shortly would deny our Lord and Savior. And there is no doubt in my mind the reference here to the sprinkling of blood is that covenant that God made that night at the Lord's table. That covenant, when you take that cup as we celebrate communion, you are saying, sprinkle me with your blood, Lord. My covenant to you is to obey Jesus Christ. You want to know what your will is? Have you ever taken communion? <laughs> That's your will. That's why it says unbelievers should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Because there is a blood covenant, a blood oath to God that you do when you take of the cup. He spoke of the blood of the new covenant. We see in this covenant that blood that was laid on that altar, we call it the cross, is the covenant that God gave. That cup, that sprinkling of blood that we have, that is my oath, my covenant, my promise to God, I'll obey. But as God's elect, is God's chosen? That shed blood that satisfied the sins of the world also covers us when we're disobedient. Do you understand that? That that oath that you take to obedience to Christ, that when you stumble, that same blood is the same blood that forgiveth the sins of humanity. Our covenant to our Lord and our Savior is obedience. His covenant to us is that He's merciful, He's forgiving. Salvation had a price 2,000 years ago that cost our Lord 
to die an agonizing death. But it has a price today that we call obedience. That's the two sides of the covenant. Romans 6.17 But thanks be to God that through you, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. That is our covenant. As we look at this passage of Scripture and get a firm grasp on that God foreknew you and that God sanctified you for a purpose. And that purpose is obedience. But that obedience has been graced with forgiveness beyond comprehension. The blood has sealed the covenant, but it also saves us. I have a list here of seven things, and I want to, I will close with this. Seven things. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, was spoken to this weekend, and uh, was speaking to my wife, and she shared that I was in the books and wanted to know what I was preaching on. And she shared with him that I was preaching on election and foreknowledge. And he says, you have a boldness that is beyond most men. And I said, I don't have an option. I chose First Peter. I'm not sure it's boldness or foolishness or whatever you want to classify it. I pray that you can rejoice the way I rejoiced. Election and foreknowledge is something that needs to be embraced. It needs to be run to, not away from. Seven reasons. It is the most pride-crushing doctrine in Scripture and produces pure humility. Number two, it is God-exalting doctrine. All the glory is God. Repentance is from God. Faith is from God. And obedience is from God. And God will cover even our failures. It is joy producing. Our only hope is to be elect. God has loved us since he's been God. He will always love us. Most privilege granting doctrine in salvation. All spiritual blessings in the heavenly come from the doctrine of election. It is also the most holiness promoting. And what more compelling thing to strive for holiness than to know that God chose you. It is also the most, most strength-giving. You and God have a blood covenant. You have made an oath with our Heavenly Father. That oath is so great that Jesus said, All that the Father has given are mine, nothing in creation can separate us. Eternity sealed. That's why we, as the choice ones, should embrace this teaching. We should embrace this doctrine and realize God did it. And rejoice in the fact that He chose us. And it should promote in us worship with all of our being. It should promote in us a striving for holiness. And never forget that our covenant is with Him who knows all things. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Father. The magnificent truth that you used your apostle Peter to give in just two verses. Father, can be mind-boggling. Father, I know that I am inept, and I know that 
I'm not worthy. But Father, I pray that we can take at least a portion of this and hide it in our heart and rejoice with it. Father, I pray that we realize when it says walk worthy of our calling, know what our calling is. And Father, know who it was that called us. Father, I pray that by Your might, by Your power, by Your Spirit, that You can implant this in us so that we have an understanding and so that we can take this and with a boldness never be ashamed to say, God chose us. Father, I pray that we will strive for obedience. Father, I pray that we will hunger for the teachings of our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that we continue to grow in the image of Him who was sacrificed for us. Father, I pray that we continue to bow our knees, humble our hearts, and realize the magnificent truth that Your Scripture offers us. Father, let us rest in the assurance that salvation is marching down that road of predestination. And Father, I pray that as Your soldiers, that we will fight the good fight and You will use us in that road of predestination. And that, Father, we realize all things are for Your glory. Father, I pray that we seek first Your kingdom and all of its righteousness. Father, I pray that we will ground Your truth in our mind. I pray that we will hunger for Your truth and renew our minds daily. Until that time, we see our Lord and Savior as our judge. And we hear those words, well done, my faithful servant. Father, it is all for Your glory. Let us rest in that. Father, let us remember that you are in charge of all of it. You allow it. You will it. You think it. You create it. And Father, let us be the children you've called us to be. Let us be the usable spirits that you want us to be. Father, I pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.